Welcome to the Lead Podcast, helping you to get it, grow it, and give it. everyone. Welcome back to the Lead Podcast. I'm Ryan Becker, and I'm joined by one of my old professors. Not old in age, but old as in I graduated a few years ago. And uh, he is now, I guess, I don't know if I can really call you a colleague necessarily, because you're still in a different That's field. Good. But uh, Dr. Alan Parker is with us today. Dr. Parker, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be here. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we're, we are thrilled. I'm excited about this. What you don't know is that I actually did participate in this study, um, but I won't tell you any of my answers. I don't want to skew anything, but I did participate in it, um, and I want to thank you for what you're doing. So go ahead and tell us just a bit about yourself and about this study. Well, I uh, work at Southern Adventist University as a professor in religion there, kind of focused on practical theology. Uh, if you hear an accent, it's because I'm from Zimbabwe and South Africa, and then I married an American, and I guess our kids would therefore be called African-American. I still have to think about that one. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I've been here in the, uh, in the States for almost 20 years now, and uh, just enjoying it, being in the South especially, and just started thinking about how we do in evangelism. Every year, I get to lead a field school of evangelism, and as we were doing that, we started to notice uh, dynamics changing, our crowd getting older, millennials not really getting excited about public evangelism the way we were doing it. And so I decided, why don't we have a study just to ask millennials, what do you think of public evangelism? And that's exactly what we did. And we got about 1,600 millennial responses oh, back, wow. which is great. Yeah. Absolutely. And thank you for your one and the of 1,600. <laughs> every vote matters and every response matters. That's really cool. And so when, when exactly did you do this study? So we did this in October of 2017 uh, through November, and we mainly advertised through Facebook, some Instagram, uh, some Twitter, uh, and then we also sent out to various conferences, and they sent it out to some of their young adults. And we got some from the West Coast. I wish we had had more, uh, but we also got some students from Southern. So we went through three classes and I got several uh, teachers to hand it out to their classes as well. So we had a good range from 18 through 35, which was the focus of the study. Great. And so can you so walk us through, I guess, the results. What, um, what were you trying to find out, and what did you end up finding out? Well, since it was 2017, it had been 500 years since the Reformation. So we said, let's just find out how people feel about uh, typical Reformation doctrines like the Antichrist and so on. And so I said, hey, let's, uh, let's ask about the Antichrist. And then I said, if we're going to do Antichrist, let's also ask about public evangelism in general. And so we asked people about, what do you think about public evangelism? Why did you go to public evangelism in the first place? How many times have you been? Uh, what is your excitement about it? And then what do you think about presentations on the Antichrist? So that, that was kind of the focus of where we were going. Okay. Great. And so, um, all right, so talk to me then about the results. What, what were the findings and, and yeah, what, what did you learn from this? So first of all, the, the big thing we learned is that this group is not monolithic. I mean, we just had expected them to kind of, you know, all be yoga pants and, and at coffee shops, <laughs> but they really weren't. In fact, uh, when we asked some questions about their religious orientation, uh, we found some distinct differences. 
uh, we found some differences in terms of whether they were moderate, conservative, or liberal. And this was far more important in determining how they viewed evangelism than was their gender or their age uh, or a variety of other factors, what major they were from. In fact, uh, whether you were conservative, moderate, or liberal would really determine your response to just about any kind of evangelism question we asked, and especially about the Antichrist. Uh, so as we were examining that, we said, hmm, you know, we want to dig a little deeper and discover what's going on here. Uh, so the group that we surveyed, we were really surprised. They had been exposed to a lot of public evangelism. Uh, this was not a group that had minimal influence. Now, of course, in a survey, that's not unusual. Mm. When you ask about something, the, the people who've had experience are the ones who respond. So we said, hey, let's take a look at this group. And of this group, uh, more than 50% had attended multiple series. So they hadn't just had limited exposure. Uh, and some, uh, about 15%, had preached their own series. So there was a lot of people who had actually gone out and preached this. So we said, okay, great, we've got a good group here. What does this conservative, moderate, liberal orientation have to do with it? And here's what we discovered. If you were a conservative, you were likely to rate an evangelistic meeting as like a four out of five. If you were a moderate, you'd give it a three out of five. And if you're liberal, you'd give it about a 1.7. Hmm. So uh, just to put that in perspective, if you went on Amazon and you saw something with a 1.7 stars, how would you feel about it? Pretty negative. Yeah. And uh, especially in this generation, people tend to kind of rate things positively. And so this told us there was an extremely negative group. The, the majority of millennials identified as moderate. So they weren't in that negative conservative group. They were like, I'm not on the left. I'm not on the right. I'm right in the middle. And that's consistent with other studies on millennials. That's where they like to be. They don't want to be as polarized. They said they were conflicted. We like some things about public evangelism. We see some good things, and we just don't like some other things. There was a lot of internal conflict going on about it. But the conservative group, uh, they were a little larger than the uh, liberal group that we had to respond to the survey because a lot of liberals don't go to any public evangelism. Mm -hmm. But the conservative group were really gung-ho. But even they said, there's some things that we don't like. And so we immediately said, we can tell which way a person's going to kind of respond to public evangelism based on their orientation. What we don't know is why, and I'll get into that in a moment. So our results were uh, pretty remarkable. We said, hey, we can see that there's a negative and a positive and a lot of people conflicted, but they all seem to agree on something in spite of that orientation. None of them liked the advertising. They did not <laughs> like the beast. They said, who is doing your advertising? We, we did some groups, uh, focus groups, where we called some young people together again across the range, and we had some graphic artists in there. And they're like, oh, you're killing us. Please stop putting out that kind of advertising. Wow. It just doesn't, it's like 90s. And, uh, and the beast, you know, why are you doing that? And then the scary apocalyptic pictures. So one thing, again, all the groups agreed upon was that this was aimed at, first of all, Adventists. They said, this is not named, aimed at non-Adventists. We don't see that. We see this as being aimed at mainly Adventists. And then they said after that, surprise, surprise, this is aimed at conspiracy theorists and fanatics. Hmm. They said, that's what it tells us. You know, you've got gas masks and 
planes flying in and war scenes. Uh, this is like end of the world conspiracy. And they said, well, that's probably who's coming out. And then only after that did they say it was aimed at Christians of other faiths. Now, guess where they put millennials, that the advertising was aimed at millennials? Absolutely last. 6% of all millennials, whether they were conservative, moderate, or liberal, said, yeah, this advertising that we're using is aimed at millennials. So that told me that millennials are feeling like you're not reaching us. You're not aiming at us. And I think that that shows in then our evangelistic meetings. In 1980, the average age of a person attending an evangelistic meeting was uh, 35. Uh, according to our research, now the average age of a person attending an evangelistic meeting is 52. Mm. So there has been this, this trending towards an older audience. So you go out to most evangelistic meetings and they're gray. Now these are traditional meetings, prophetic meetings. And uh, we're seeing this consistently across the board, this change. And this tells us one of the reasons why the advertising is not aimed at this millennial age group. And I speak to evangelists and they go, well, it's pointless aiming at them because they're not going to come out anyway. But then is this catch-22. If you're not aiming at them because they're not going to come out, then don't be surprised if your audience is older. Yeah. No, that's, I find that interesting. And, and 90% of what you said I've resonated with. So for our listeners who don't know, I'm actually 25, so I'm on the lower end of the millennial range right now. And as far as classification is concerned, I'd end up moderate leaning left, uh, so leaning liberal. And most of those complaints are pretty consistent with what I've struggled with. Um, but my my main struggle with with the way we do evangelism has not, has not necessarily been, and it's been the advertising, but my issue has always been, at least through what I've sat through or what we've preached, is either... Um, the style of the presentation as far as PowerPoint, or it's been that I haven't felt like the prophetic, the unique prophetic message that we have has been um, either filtered or, or contextualized for the kind of social justice or cause-oriented world we're, we're, certain, we're, we're currently in. Because certainly I think our prophetic message speaks a lot to it, um, but it, it's, it's not just the advertising that doesn't feel geared toward, it's the actual Content. This and, and this is just me saying my own thoughts here. So, so you fit right in with the moderate group that we had, and those are exactly some of the things that the moderate group was saying. Now, the, what happened when we dealt with the Antichrist, for instance, is that the liberal group said, "Please don't even bring it up. Hmm. Don't talk about it. Walk away slowly with your hands behind your back." Um, and then the a conservative group said, we need to preach the truth. I mean, once this, don't water it down, just give it to them as it is, this is truth. And the moderate group said, we can accept a lot of the prophetic message as being true, but could you just say it differently? Could you, mm. could you approach it a different way? And they would bring up things like social justice. Uh, they would bring up things like uh, being truth tellers in today's world. Uh, they would bring up things like the environment. And they said, this is all part of our prophetic message. Now, on the Antichrist especially, there were two uh, main views, other than the liberals who said, don't talk about it at all. On those who said, this is part of our identity, there were two main views. One was that the Antichrist is the Roman Catholic Church. This is the way it is. Don't beat around the bush. That's what the Antichrist is. And the second group, which seemed to reflect a growing number of young people, 
said, the Antichrist is a spirit, not an institution. And as a spirit, it was present in an institution in the past, but it could be just as present in the Adventist church or in another church. And so we need to see the spirit of the Antichrist rather than just the institution of the Antichrist. Mm. So I, and, and those two views, you could see people kind of dialoguing between themselves and trying to figure that out. And some saying, I still agree that there is the historic institution, but I see the spirit. And others going, I'm not sure about the historic institution. It probably is, but I definitely see the spirit. And others say, no, it's only the historic institution. Mm. And our prophetic message is that's what's going to come back. And that's what we need to be concerned about. Well, and I find it interesting because we live in a time where like everything is wrong if you can nuance it enough. And so millennials, especially when we respond to things on social media, I do remember seeing some of the posts for this survey going out and the and the study going out. All the comments on it were like, well, I agree with this, but not all the way. Or, or you know, I, <laughs> right. I, I can't I don't know how to select a, a, a one here because I don't fully agree with any of them. And so it, it was interesting to see kind of how people publicly even were willing to admit how much they struggled with some of this stuff and the the conversations that took place as a result of the survey itself. And I think one of the things that I've often struggled with content-wise has always been, it's not necessarily the content that scares me, but it's always been, it's kind of like people who are afraid, millennials who are afraid of hearing Ellen White. Mm -hmm. And it's because of the people who've used her to bash them over the head with it. It's kind of the same thing. Some of the most uh, mentally abusive church members I've met have been those who are products of evangelistic series. And so it's, it's so there's this weird innate uh, aversion I have that I have to always consciously overcome to sit through an evangelistic series to say, okay, well, I need to take this information, this presentation on its own merit rather than associations with my own past and so one of the interesting things was people would say, uh, they would almost contradict themselves, a paradox. They would say the evangelistic meetings are hopeful and fear-mongering. They're grace-filled and they're legalistic. He's reading my survey. <laughs> He's reading my results right now. <laughs> so, so it's like, how can it be both? So we, we looked in the comments and people said, well, it depends on the presenter, which was very clear. Then they said, it's also the presentation. Like one night, it'll be this grace-filled, this is incredible, this is the gospel. And then the next night, they felt they were getting hit over the head with something more legalistic. And so they were saying, it's this and it's this. And, and it just depends on who's presenting, and it even depends on the night. And so there's a lot of conflict when it comes to this. Like, I don't know if it's safe for me to bring my friends. One millennial said this, um, you know, for me to come and attend and, and learn something about um, our prophetic understanding, that's good. But I'm not sure I can bring a friend because if I brought a friend, I'm not sure what's going to be presented that night and if it's going to be okay. And, and that's mm. the worst thing for evangelism. Yeah. No, the, absolutely. It, it, there's, a, there's a fear of bringing friends. I've, I've wrestled with that fear my entire life, and there's only been maybe a handful of churches that I've actually felt comfortable bringing a friend to or, or, or having them walk into, even on any given Sabbath morning, let alone uh, during an evangelistic series. But this is, this is an interesting conversation for me because I am a millennial, so it's kind of like you're just holding a mirror up, <laughs> and every part of me wants to be like, no, fight the system. That's not who I am. But in reality, like this is, I mean, I participated in this too, and, and you know, I'm in there. And so this is, this is an interesting challenge for me, and maybe listeners have picked up on it as I kind of try and 
reconcile with some of this as well? Um, well, we, we had a question. You know, we said, okay, we can see this, but what's driving such a distinct difference in response between these, these moderates and these conservatives and these liberals? And here was something really fascinating. We discovered that the reasons for attending were different. If you were conservative, you went to a public evangelistic meeting because you wanted to find out more about prophecy, because you were interested in uh, sharing your faith with your friends, uh, you were interested in getting to uh, know the Bible better. You had a lot of intrinsic reasons. But those who were liberal, when they reflected on why they went to an evangelistic meeting, it was often because of church or family or school expectations. And so there were a lot of extrinsic reasons. And of course, the moderate group was right in between. They had some extrinsic and some uh, intrinsic reasons for attending. And, and so an idea occurred, you know, maybe uh, by pushing an evangelistic meeting as a duty, we've actually created an environment that people are more likely to reject the whole religious underpinnings because they feel it was forced on them as opposed to those who went and said, I kind of like this, and I know why I'm going, and, and I like to learn more. And so they tend to have a more positive experience. Hmm. And uh, so we need to rethink about how we're forcing people to attend meetings out of a sense of duty, because that may backfire later. Yeah, I can see that, definitely. Well, okay, so we've got some of this information, and, and I'm sure we'll go over a bit more of this, but, I mean, what do we do about it? Because I know a lot of our churches they don't produce their own evangelistic series. A lot of Adventist materials come from independent ministries like Amazing Facts. And, and so I, I guess what do we do with, with some of this research? So they, they came up with great suggestions. Uh, one of the suggestions was, please shorten the series. Uh, there is no way we're going to spend four weeks going through this. In fact, one young person said, um, if I was going to do it, I would... That's okay. We got general background music here. It's yeah. all part of the atmosphere. Yep, this is how it is. <laughs> this is what happens. We're, we're mid-evangelistic series in Nashville, recording in the lower level of a church. The AC kicked on. There's a baby crying down the hallway. This is ministry. <laughs> That's how it works. Yes. So um, fascinating uh, kind of responses from them. They said, if I'm going to learn about something, let's say, you know, they like David Asherick. They're going to binge watch over a weekend and just get as much of it as they can, much like they do any series that they mm -hmm. get up on YouTube or Amazon or Hulu, whatever. So they binge watch it. And they said, this idea that you would drag it over four weeks, I drag it out for that period of time, they're just like, please don't. You know, give it to us in a condensed form where we can get it all at one time. So uh, there we said, okay, good. Maybe we need to shorten these series, make it more accessible. Uh, other people say, can't you do more online? I'm going to watch you online way before I'll come out to a series. So we've been grappling with that, and I can say already we've shortened some of our series. Uh, other th things said, please. Other people said, don't give us the same text, the same stories, the same logic that we've heard over and over that just bores us to tears. Um, so they said, uh, listen, what you can do is just... Uh, find a new way of doing it. So right now, as we're doing uh, these meetings right here, uh, we have students starting this weekend, and we've developed a new series. I, I should say developed is not quite the right term. We are developing <laughs> a new series starting this Friday. 
And uh, it's an apologetic series. So it's asking questions. Why do innocent people suffer? Who is God? How can I believe in him? Who's right, Jesus or Darwin? Um, you know, what happens when you die? Uh, so we're asking real questions. Does God have time for me? Uh, what do I do about my dating and sex life? So we're asking those kinds of questions deliberately to try and track, attract a millennial audience. Instead of putting all our money into brochures, which young, younger people don't read, yeah. <laughs> instead we're putting it into social media. So we're doing Instagram and Facebook, um, although I know Facebook's kind of almost phasing out for millennials, but we're, we're getting those two groups uh, there. We're also uh, trying to attract them through uh, avenues that they are reached by. And then uh, what we're going to be doing next year is we're going to do a pre-series online. So they watch it online before they ever come out to a meeting. So these are some of the ways in which it's, it's changing the way we're thinking about getting to the, the text box or the mailbox, I mean the inbox instead of the mailbox, because that's where uh, we're going to find a younger generation. We're not going to find them reaching for their mail and putting out a brochure. Yeah, no, I, that makes sense. I mean, so I've been pastoring in a district for two years now, and I'm so unaccustomed to getting mail that my pastor's mailbox, like I have a little slot in our library and it's constantly packed. And like once I've maybe, I remember to check that thing maybe like twice a year and it just <laughs> stacks up with mail until someone reminds me because they can't fit any more mail in there for me. And it's, it's always embarrassing and it's, and it's just kind of the nature of, of my generation and, and how we interact with stuff. Yeah. And, and I've learned that uh, a lot of, a lot of millennials are no longer even using email. Mm -hmm. So now it's communicating through social media apps and texts. Yeah. And so we're having to adjust how do we reach people through those avenues? Uh, because as you say, you're not, you're not going to pull out your mail and go through it piece by piece like your, your grandmother would. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's much different. Unless there's a check in there waiting. For <laughs> yeah, then, yeah, that's different. Then I'm going in there piece <laughs> by piece. No, this is this is actually wonderful, and and honestly, from my from where I sit, both literally and figuratively, this is very encouraging for me to know that we're thinking about these things and asking these questions. It's really easy to just kind of sit at the sidelines, even in ministry, still feel like I'm sitting on the sidelines and not no progress is being made. So, I mean, just personally, thank you for doing this and. Um, and for taking this under your, or taking this burden on, because this is great information. Um, so, okay, so now let's talk uh, then local church level. What can a local church do as a result of these findings? What do we do with them? I would definitely encourage something that we did, which is get a focus group. Get some young people. Uh, when I say young, you know, you're going to do from young to young adult, and sit down and talk about what can we do that would make uh, a difference for you that would help you to invite your friends. So I just did that. I, we, uh, church that I'm involved with, Eastridge, has about 20 young adults. Uh, there's kind of post-collegiate group. And I said, uh, what would you like to see? And I showed them different ideas. And I said, what would help you to, to bring a friend out uh, where you felt I could do it? And I said, I know you're not going to attend 10 sessions. I would help you to bring a friend out to two or three of those. And they definitely moved towards the apologetics. They, they just had an affinity for that. And then I said, all right, how can we involve you in doing this? Because I think we need to have uh, a way of reaching out from millennial to millennial or from Gen Z to Gen Z, as opposed to inserting someone else in the mix. 
And so we had a really good dialogue. So one of the things I do is just say, just sit down and have that conversation. Um, and then secondly, I would say, uh, do something short, maybe do something over a weekend that they can be involved with um, and uh, give them something that's meaningful, that's intellectually stimulating as well as experientially meaningful. And that may mean a bit of change in the music that you might be used to. <laughs> yeah. And it may mean a... Um, it, it may mean repackaging uh, what was there before in a, in a more challenging and profound way. Mm. Wow, that's really good. Um, all right, so let's let's keep going now. More specifically, let's bring it home to our main listening audience, which is ministry leaders and pastors. What do pastors do with this? Same thing as I mean, obviously the focus groups fall in because that's local churches. But I mean, pastors specifically, what can what can I do? What can we do? Um, to better serve millennials in this capacity and, and tweak our evangelistic series? I, I think one of the things that's really important to know is, again, millennials are not monolithic. So you may reach conservative millennials. Uh, I don't want to use the term too loosely here, but the GYC millennials. Okay, yeah. In a different yeah. way than you would reach your moderate millennials. And you're going to reach your liberal millennials in quite a different way from the moderate group. So I would look at your church and say, who do I have here? And, I, and do I have different strategies for these three different groups? Uh, because you could, you could effectively do a, a traditional public evangelistic series shorter, different advertising for a conservative group, but you might want to, with your moderate group, tackle the apologetics. And with the uh, liberal group, you may want to do something else completely. You, know, you may not use a meeting at all. It may be just the wrong approach. You, you may just be hanging out with them and uh, understanding some of their questions personally. So let's say I'm a pastor who's hearing this, and I might be thinking, well, okay, so you, record, you, you, you recorded these findings, you did these surveys with millennials who've already been to the evangelistic series. So of course they're going to say, well, don't use the texts and the stories that we've always heard. Well, I'm aiming for millennials who've never heard the gospel, so I'm going to keep using those. Um, what do you say to that audience or, or those pastors that, that would tend to disagree, I guess, with even maybe the, the, the control group that you have here, uh, which is millennials who've already experienced it? And they're saying, well, that's not our target audience. Well, I would say clearly you will find some millennials who will respond to a traditional public evangelistic series. It's just if you look at overall, I studied 350 meetings. We have the data on those meetings. Wow. And uh, we can see that it's largely older people who are attending. So I would say just on the statistics alone, you may have had an individual experience here or there where a few millennials came, but that's not how it is in general across these meetings. So I, I would encourage them to think outside of that box. Um, and I certainly was one, you know, I was at Amazing Facts for five years, and we did traditional meetings, and I've done a lot of traditional meetings. But I've seen the change that's taken place, and I think we need to consider uh, that we're going to have to have a new approach. Hmm. Thank you for that. That's really good. Uh, let, let's ask this. We, we try to equip people as best as possible and our pastors. Are there any resources, books, anything uh, that you can point pastors to that might help them with this, maybe help develop the evangelistic series or anything like that? I, uh, in terms of understanding millennials, James White has uh, some good material on millennials. I think that would be worth reading. Uh, Bonner has done a study on Adventist millennials and compared it with evangelical millennials, uh, and that's uh, accessible online. You can just type in George Bonner, Adventist millennials, 
you'll get some good information on that. In terms of a series, I have liked what David Asherick has done. He's got a series called Why God? And uh, it was put on on the Hope Channel, and you can find it on YouTube. And I think that's helpful to see how he's trying to reach millennials in a different way. Um, and so I would I'd encourage you to get out there and just experiment. If you take young good people alongside of you as a pastor and you have them preach some things, you're going to see them come up with some new ideas. And I think uh, we can learn from that as well as providing some resources that are already out there. Great. And Will, listeners, once again, as is tradition on this podcast, all of them, all the resources that he's talked about, uh, we'll have links to them in the show notes. So all you got to do is go to the, sh- the episode description and you can see those. Uh, Dr. Parker, as we kind of wind down here, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? Any Anything you want them to really take home and, and you want to make sure gets said? Yeah, I, I want to say that evangelism is about loving people. And I really think that we haven't spent enough time with millennials to really understand what's going through their heads. And that's why we have this monolithic view of them. And it's, it's time to stop beating up on millennials, you know, uh, in terms of seeing them as, as lazy and uh, grandiose. Uh, instead, I think they have something to contribute to our church. We need to listen. And if we don't, we're in danger of extinction. And so I, I just encourage love people, spend time with them, and you'll have a much better idea, at least I'm learning that, of how to reach their hearts. Well, thank you so much for that. Thank you for everything you're doing here again. Uh, and thanks for your time on the LEAD podcast. Dr. Parker, may, we hope, and, and perhaps you'll be on again uh, in the future, but I, I look forward to seeing what happens as a result of this study and, and how our evangelistic series keep, keeps evolving and, and changing and, and adapting to the culture that it's in. So thank you. Uh, pleasure to be here. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to The Lead Podcast. My name is Ryan Becker. I'm one of the co-hosts and producer of this podcast, and we really appreciate your support. If you want to subscribe, then you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, any of your favorite podcatching apps. And if you do subscribe on iTunes, then we just ask that you please leave a review. That really helps us out to know what we can do better and the things that you are already enjoying, the things that we can continue doing. Make sure you do subscribe and leave a review because we're always doing giveaways and that really, uh, that's the way that we do it is we do it for those who have left a review. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback for the show, you can email us, leadsupodcast at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter, Roger Hernandez at leadsu, and myself at Ryan180Becker. Thank you guys so much for listening and supporting. Without you, this is not possible. We'll see you next time.